Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The race is on, and we have not only a new car to discuss, but also a new team name and a new look. The Alpha Tauri AT01 that was launched with a fashion show in Salzburg is a Toro Rosso by any other name, but can it live up to the ambitious target set by team boss Franz Tost? I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to talk all things Alpha Tauri is Glenn Freeman, and as always, we'll also be hearing Gary Anderson's technical analysis of a car that's more than just a Red Bull clone. So, Glenn... First things first, a different livery for you. So, are you happy? Oh, absolutely delighted, Ed. When I saw when I saw the first picture come through that you sent from the launch, actually, I thought, yes, that's a brand new look, really interesting color scheme. I always like blue and white cars as well. So, yeah, that that launch ticked a lot of boxes for me. Uh, but more importantly, Ed, you were there. You were at the physical event that the team held uh, in Austria. So. Why don't you tell us a bit more about it, especially uh, the fashion show element, which I believe is the reason you accepted the invitation. Well, as everyone will know, I'm, I'm very keen on fashion. I'm, uh, anyone who sees the way that I dress will know that that's a, a very important part of my life. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was slightly strange. So we were all waiting for the car to be unveiled and this sort of fashion show sort of kept happening and going on. I guess it's obvious, really. Alpha Tauri is a fashion brand. Uh, as an aside, it's, it's quite a new fashion brand. They launched it in 2016. So this is all about trying to make AlphaTauri a global brand. So the logical bit of, of renaming there for, for Red Bull. But yeah, we had all the, the models strutting around the stage and circling the car and standing about. I'm not in my element in a fashion show, shall we say, but I, I was quite pleased on Twitter to put on our account a photo of uh, that I could legitimately say I was a fashion photographer. So uh, there we go. That's a, a career box ticked, so to speak. It's one off the bucket list, isn't it? Like, it's an interesting point you make, actually. We've had a few more proper launches this year, haven't we? And, and teams hosting real events. And I think it's been really interesting. And I've seen people comment, actually, on this on social media that people have been longing for the days of teams doing proper big launch events again. And actually, with most of the ones that we've seen, especially if they've been streamed on the internet, all people have done with the build-up and all the all the other things. Like, we had the dancers at Ferrari. We had your fashion show all people are sat there thinking is show us the car. So the only team who got that bit right for what you could call the digital age was McLaren, where it was literally an intro, here's the car, and then we'll talk about it while the car's on stage for everyone to look at. But of course, you know, launches back in the day would very often be a lot of preamble and all, you know, the team getting all their stuff in and especially when we had manufacturers wanting to talk about their vision and why they're in F1. And I just, I just thought it was interesting that, 
yeah, the, the launches have got a bit more lavish this year and uh, the world's a little bit more impatient than it used to be. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. I mean, if you think about it, it's logical that they would do that because one, they want to showcase their brand. Alpha Sauri was a brand I'd never heard of until I first heard they were thinking of renaming the team. So yeah, we can actually see what, what they were doing. So it's logical they do that. Plus also, it does build up some anticipation. So they had this kind of three-part fashion show. And after the first little bit, the car started to have a bit of a light show on it. So we're all looking at the car thinking, oh, they're going to unveil it. And then it's like, oh no, more fashion show. Then they did it again. And it's like, oh no, more fashion show. But I don't mind that. They're building up anticipation, aren't they? And from a purely commercial sense, they want to get as many people watching the live stream as possible. So they want people to talk about it. So yeah, I mean... I don't mind a, a, a little bit of that, and they uh, they at least minimised the uh, the talking before it about pointlessness, and it you know I, I can see why they did it. So it was, it was okay. I mean, I was I was getting impatient, but I'm a motorsport journalist there just to to see the car. Which we should add, the car that was on stage was a bit of a mix and match hybrid. It was sort of 19 with some 20 bits, but the the car that was uh, the, the photos were issued of was the was the real car that's now uh, now at Mizano being shaken down. Daniel Kvyat's going to be the first to, to drive it. He hasn't he hasn't been out as, as yet, as far as I understand. The point of recording, anyway. But if you head to the race dot com, the hyphen race dot com, you'll be able to see some images of that on track uh, at some point today, I would imagine. Uh, but yeah, it, it was it was fun, and I guess the only bit that was a bit. Uh, not grating, but when you get Franz Toss talking about the, uh, the the clothing technology and and everything, they have to say that it's just that's a little bit of kind of marketing blah. Although teams do like their their clothes and kit to be uh, practical and wearable, so who knows? Maybe they were a a, a big step forward. Franz Toss talking about clothing technology. I didn't expect you to come back with that one, Ed. Um, but I think Toss also said. The thing that he always says at this time of year when he's talking about the team's targets, and this must be about the eighth year in succession, I think what used to be Toro Rosso have said they want to finish fifth in the championship. And uh, I don't know about you, Ed, but I find that a, um, a slightly boring and repetitive ambition, although this year probably a bit more realistic than it's been in the past because Toro Rosso, as they were known last year, actually had a really good season. So for once, perhaps Tost is... Um, is on the money because it makes sense for them to have the ambition to go forward. You've got this new brand for the team, new look, hopefully more improvements from Honda. Uh, I find it really interesting actually how far Toro Rosso have come with Honda. If you think really they were used as the, as the kind of test bench a couple of years ago for Red Bull to decide if it wanted those engines. And now here we are, Red Bull we're thinking might be in the championship fight and Alpha Tauri as they're now known must be thinking, we want to get right in the mix in what you and I call Class B. Yeah, well, there's, there's two ways of looking at it. Fifth place is quite ambitious for Toro Rosso, a team of its size, but it can lean on Red Bull's resources. As you say, they were they were six, but only a few points behind Renault last year. But there are Renault and McLaren and, and an emerging racing point team, or re-emerging racing point team, if you want to put it that way, that, that are all looking strong this year. And obviously Alpha are, are kind of on the up as well. So... Yeah, it's, it's very, very tricky. Tost has made some bold predictions that they generally don't hit in the past. I think it was 2015 he first predicted fifth. I think they managed seventh place. So I think they have to be seen to be ambitious. And credit to them for at least setting a target. Teams normally sort of wimp out of doing that, even though they do have them have them in mind. I think if this team's going to have a year where it can do that, this is probably quite a good one to have a go in because we've got real stability. They've got an experienced driver lineup, continuity of drivers. It's the first year that they've got a fully, fully, fully integrated Honda power unit package in that last year there was a lot of 2018 Red Bull stuff on the car. And although they were quite surprised that the Honda 
uh, package fitted in quite well with the Red Bull gearbox from the off, and they didn't have to do too much hacking around to make it work. That'll inevitably be a game to be had there. So there's a lot of things that are lining up quite nicely. Franz Tost was talking up the the Honda power units that they've made, both in terms of reliability and in terms of the the overall power. So yeah, things are lining up quite nicely. The only thing we have to say is obviously last year Toro Rosso had a great season. They were very consistent scorers. They were they've always they've they've been a very erratic team for a long time. Although they weren't the most consistent last year, they were better and they were scoring pretty regularly. But those two podiums did also slightly artificially inflate their their point style it doesn't not to say they weren't deserved but they just happened to be races where where they were kind of at the front of the the mid pack or thereabouts where others hit trouble shall we say and they could easily have been sort of seventh eighth places and it wouldn't have been quite the same but you know it's it's a team that i think is running quite nicely jody eggington who took over as as, as technical director officially at the start of last season, but was effectively leading it from the year before when uh, James Key left uh, ahead of his move to, to McLaren. They're being very sensible and rational in what they lean on from Red Bull so they can concentrate fully on the the aero side as, as much as they can. They've got the, the aero group actually is based in Brackley in the, in the UK. They've got a, a wind tunnel there with a, with a, a design office, although um, we should say that uh, they are operating on a 50% scale wind tunnel, which they're the only ones doing opinions differ about whether having a, a slightly smaller scale wind tunnel everyone else is using 60 is a disadvantage i think generally the feeling is it is although there are some will tell you it, it's not so yeah it's it's a it's a small team its ultimate potential isn't isn't as big as quite a lot of them and in the natural order of things it's a bottom half of the constructors championship team but if they are going to get fifth this is quite a good year for it especially with a lot of the other teams mclaren uh renault etc having to have a almost more of, of an eye on 2021 because they can again lean more on Red Bull Technologies research and, and work on on that in terms of the non-listed part. So yeah, it's uh, I still think it's bold, and I would be slightly surprised if they hit it. But if they're going to get fifth, this is this is the year for it. Yeah, it's an interesting point you made as well that with the fact that all these teams have these targets and no one else is brave enough to tell us what they are. So and also I think you know I kind of mocked Franz Tost for always saying we want to finish fifth, uh, but. Torosso kind of prove why everyone else should be willing to tell us what their targets are because I don't think anyone gets to the end of the year and goes back to February and says, well, come on, Franz, you said fifth and you're seventh. What a disgrace. Torosso, what a letdown you are. Everybody just remembers that, okay, they had a target and they went for it and it didn't work. Now, maybe that's because they're kind of a B team so they're not viewed in the same way. And I'm sure if if teams like Renault... Um, or McLaren tell us the target and don't hit it, maybe we'd be harder on them. But um, yeah, I, I sort of wish everyone else would tell us where they want to finish. You know, I'm sure they would, I'm sure they're all ambitious. I'm sure nobody is going to launch a car this year and say, yeah, we're quite, you know, as long as we're eighth, we're happy. But I think it's it's interesting. We we know that that team in its in its current setup, and I think it's interesting as well what you said about the driver lineup. You know, it's this isn't, this is supposed to be a junior team, really. We don't associate it with having drivers who wouldn't be far off veteran status soon but for them to say yeah we want to be we want to be in the middle of the pack and it's an ambitious target and I probably think they won't hit it because I'd imagine McLaren should stay fourth and like you mentioned Racing Point should get her act together um Renault can't afford to be lower than fifth I don't think and obviously got Haas as well who had a quick car last year um, but couldn't do anything with it on race day. So it might be that last year was as good as it will get for this team. 
unrealistically, that midfield pack is going to be so congested. They'll all be targeting finishing pretty high up. I imagine nobody would be predicting finishing probably lower than six. Even Williams will fancy their chance of taking a, a step forward, although maybe they wouldn't quite go that that high. But they can't all be all be there. But it's uh, I think it's probably also important for Toro Rosso to be vocal about its targets because it can become a bit of an afterthought team, should we say? Because it is the junior team. So yeah, I, I think it's it's probably good for the motivation of the, of the team to do it. Should we hear from Gary Anderson? Uh, we'll have a quick break and then we'll hear from him and his expert technical analysis. I'm very pleased to welcome Gary Anderson to the podcast to give his insights on the AlphaTauri ATO1. Now, Gary, the team's changed identity. It's now named after a fashion brand that does seem to do a good line in jumpers, judging by the, the way the launch was done. Are you going to be trading in your trusty winter testing jumper for an AlphaTauri one thanks to this rebrand? I must admit one thing during my time of, uh, of designing racing cars was I always push for the car to be the focus um that's what the event's about the car but uh yesterday's release was all about the fashion brand and um i'm not sure i saw anything in the fashion brand although very nice i'm not so sure i saw anything in it that would actually fit a man like myself um the snake-like figure that i have i think it's a very very nice brand and it's great to see something new coming into to formula one um the branding on the car and that looked really really quite attractive so uh Yes, it'll be quite interesting to see how it all unfolds. The car at the launch was basically the 19 with a few 20-style pieces on it, but we have seen images of the real car that was built to shake down at Mizzano. Some assume it's a Red Bull claim, but while that's true in some ways, it's not actually that simple, is it? The car at the launch, you know, it's very, very difficult to tell with these cars because the regulations are now stable. The development of last year's car is ongoing through into 2020. So it's it's... It's just a car, and we can only comment on the car. Um, it looked pretty good to me, uh, tidy, neat. Obviously, there's differences in the shape of the side pods and stuff like that, but that will all change with the new car whenever we finally see it. It's just going to take a little bit of time before it all uh, unfolds itself. But for for uh, Alfa Tori, um, they needed to come in with a bit of a bang. They they probably underachieved last year, and they need to push hard to, to pull that back again this year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they can uh, how they can get the best out of it and uh, what the car will end up looking like when it gets to the first race. The front wing continues to be more in the Ferrari direction, so the loaded inboard approach. Is it a surprise it hasn't gone more in the other direction, as we do know the team has been working on both concepts in parallel for some time? It's the Ferrari style unloaded at the outboard end. Uh, is that good or is that bad? I, I genuinely believe there is a, a good compromise in there somewhere. Maybe... The, what we saw yesterday in the Alfa Tauri was a, was a bit far towards the Ferrari solution. But I think if you can create the front downforce, you need to balance the car uh, by the other stuff that's on the car, then that is the best solution for consistency. If you have a front wing that's major operating part is, behind, is in front of the, uh, the front tyre, every time you move that tyre, the balance of the car will change. Now, it can change for the good or it can change for the bad. But it's one of those things that the front wheel is always on the move and in the middle of a corner, and it's the middle of the corner where you want that balance. So if you can get the solution that we saw in the Alfa Tour yesterday, i.e. Ferrari solution, um, then I think you'll get more consistency in the aerodynamics. So I would personally pursue that route and try to get the front downforce that I need for the car from other sources. 
The side pods are another area of difference between AlphaTauri and Red Bull. AlphaTauri uses the same Honda engine, and a lot of the bits inside the side pod will be the same as the Red Bull, so why is it not much more similar? How many different ways are there to skin a cat and arrange things in there anyway? Yeah, the side pods, they, again, you know, there's lots and lots of bits to package in there. Um, and you can do two or three things with the side pods. You can bring the airflow down over the top of the side pod um, or around the side pod. So it's it's a sort of concept. Uh, it's a, yeah, I suppose you say it's, it's done very early in the in the design of the car. You start with a package and it's a sort of concept solution that you're looking at. Both of them will do the same job. What you're trying to do is get the maximum airflow you can into the Coke bottle area and through the Coke bottle area. And now, you know, it's one of those sort of situations where when you accelerate airflow, you can get um, lift, you can get the reverse effect so that the top of the side pods create lift. That's a negative. It's like creating friction friction in an engine. So you want to minimize that. And you need to make sure that you let the let the airflow do what it wants to do. You can't force airflow. You can pull it through the, the, the um, through the Coke bottle and that influences the rest of the car. But how you achieve that is basically down to how your initial concept and then you op- optimise your initial concept. In your written piece on our website, the-race.com, you suggested AlphaTauri can effectively be a big team thanks to focusing its resource on aero and picking up all the other things that would otherwise be costly from Red Bull. Is that really the case, or is the team that's under 500 people, which is still massive compared to what teams used to work with, always going to be fundamentally limited? Yeah, AlphaTauri, they're a very difficult sort of team to to assess. You know, what you've got to consider is that they're backed by, you know, they've got a good level of finance, good level of budget from from the Red Bull owner, Didier Matisic. Um, they're a very professional team. They've now got two drivers in their car that wear taken on by the Red Bull team to go out and win races and win championships. So they have everything there that makes up a team that should be able to win. Um, everything they get from Red Bull is very, very good. It saves them a lot of time, all the mechanical stuff. you know, In the regulations, you have to create your own aerodynamic surfaces, really. And that's, I think that's the best way of putting it. You have to have your own concept and your own aerodynamic surfaces. It's a very fine line between what is is what comes from consultation with Red Bull and what comes from standing on your own two feet. Um, so I, I think they're a, you know, they're a sister team, so I think that there will be a lot of consultation between them. There'll be a lot of mechanical parts on the car, obviously the gearbox, the, the rear suspension, the front suspension, all that stuff will be from um, the sister team. And there is no reason why uh, Alfa Tori cannot go out there and do a very good job. Um, Franz Toss has said that they're targeting fifth in the championship, I think they should be targeting fourth in the championship because they have all the bits that make the jigsaw up available to them somewhere along the line. Yes, they are not as big a, big a team as some others, but the reality of it is they've also got Toro Rosso there as a... They've also got, sorry, Red Bull there as a as a reference, as a, you know, someone to pull on to, to get information from. So in reality, they are a big team and they should be able to be fourth in the championship. Great insight there from Gary Anderson, as always. But back to you, Glenn Freeman. You mentioned the drivers briefly and their experience. It's quite an interesting driver lineup they've got here. This is the, the, the nursery team for, for Red Bull, but you've got Daniel Kvyat, who's going into his sixth season in Formula One. 
and he's alongside Pierre Gasly, who's going into his third full season. Of course, he did a few races uh, towards the end of t- 2017. So they're not neither a fresh. Normally, a driver in their third full season at Toro Rosso would be kind of the, the veteran, and uh, in, in their final year with the team, almost. So it, it it is an interesting lineup, especially with that dynamic of that they both know they're not going to be there forever, but they've also been rejected by the Red Bull team, having driven for them. So it's just a slightly strange position to be in, isn't it? It's bizarre, and it's not all that team was set up for you know it wasn't set up to to be a kind of rehab center for the drivers who have had a go at the top team and it hasn't worked out and they've they've been uh bounced back down obviously uh Gasly for Gasly that happened mid-season last year uh for Kvyat you know he got thrown out entirely having ended up back at Torosso um in what 2016 wasn't it he got bumped for Max Verstappen after a few races hung around for most of 17 then got kicked out went to Ferrari for a little bit and has somehow managed to to come back so I think it's yeah this isn't what that team was set up for and it feels like a a holding pattern of a driver lineup for me and it's kind of it's also a reflection I think of the fact that maybe the Red Bull Junior scheme isn't producing any um, immediate talents that need to be need to be brought up into F1. So whenever whenever this happens for what's what's now Alpha Tauri and what was Toro Rosso, I always feel a bit sorry for the likes of Sebastian Buemi, who probably could have had a much longer F1 career if he'd been in that team at this stage when there's not really lots of drivers snapping at his heels to take that drive and to get that opportunity. But maybe that's a little bit unfair to Gasly, Ed, because um, you know he got the promotion to Red Bull off the back of a great 2018 with Toro Rosso. And actually seemed like a man reborn when he went back to that team in the second half of last year. Yeah, he had a really, really strong second half of the year. I think at the end of the year, we always do the, well, I always had to put together these these top 10 drivers of the year. And if it was the second half of the year, Gasly would be one of those ones you'd say, yeah, he's he's got to be in the top 10. But first half of the year, he wasn't. So you've got the same driver. So which is he? Is he the one who struggled at Red Bull or the one who thrived at Toro Rosso? And the reality is somewhere in between. But Gasly's always had a lot of ability. Uh, you covered him in uh, in junior categories as well. So, you know, we all know how good he can be. He's a very quick driver. Sometimes it's taken him a little bit of time to adapt to new categories and new environments. So maybe that was part of the problem in Red Bull, particularly up against Max Verstappen, who's as, as hard a, a, a barometer as you can get, really. Him and Lewis Hamilton are probably the two people you least want as your teammate, although you could probably add Charles Leclerc now to that uh, selection as well. But I think Gasly is the guy that still has that... Uh, that kind of opportunity and possibility maybe if he can get things together and show that he's he's learned well from that. Daniel Kvyat's in an interesting position because he did, after that really strong first half of the year, he struggled a little bit more at times in the second half of the year. Gasly kind of got on, on top of him. So Kvyat also, that there's motivation there to kind of reassert themselves. Like you say, that they'll both know that they're not necessarily likely to be there next year there are some Red Bull juniors coming up on the rails again now we've got Yuri Vips who's moved to Super Formula this year who had a good run in in Formula 3 last year uh, Yuki Tsunoda who's stepping up to Formula 2 he's a, a kind of Honda protege and we know historically Honda do like having a Japanese driver a Japanese protege should we say in Formula 1 remember they brought uh, Satoru Nakajima in way back uh, way back in the day with with Lotus so there's clear motivation there to do that. So if either of those have have good strong seasons, then the pressure will will be on. I think Gazi and Kvyat probably know that the chances of them both being there next year are not great because probably one of those will uh, will force themselves in, into contention. So that'll be a little interesting 
background story, should we say, those two trying to uh, prove that they're the, they're the ones for, for that team. But ideally, the team will hope they'll push each other on and that'll help them chase this ambition of, of finishing fifth. And I think it's 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 an interesting situation because, like you say, Boemi was unfortunate with timing and that he had Daniel Ricciardo and John Eric Verne knocking on the door at the time. And obviously, we've seen what Ricciardo's gone on to do. John Eric Verne has always been a very, very, very good quick driver. We've seen what he's done in Formula E. He didn't entirely get get everything together, should we say, in Formula uh, Formula One in his time with Toro Rosso. But yeah, when you've got that quality pressuring you, you you are gonna kind of fall off at uh, at, at some stage. So yeah, I, th- I think a nice little subordinate story. So uh, overall, are you are you excited about about this? Do you do you accept the Alpha Tauri rebranding? Because it's slightly odd, isn't it? Because this is called a new thing but it's identical it's quite rare you get this there's no real sponsorship change or anything it's just red bull that created a brand for toro so in the first place after by minardi has just decided to put one of its other brands onto this car yeah i was really um cynical about this when i first heard about it because i just thought you can't just own a team and decide to call it something else because you have something else you want to promote but i guess that's part of what red bull are all about it's ultimately you know one of the world's best marketing brands um, and they've obviously decided to do something with their second team. And in fairness, you know, it wasn't like Toro Rosso was some brand that they were already trying to promote. Uh, it was just an Italian way of saying Red Bull, wasn't it? So it, that didn't really mean anything. It only started to mean anything because it developed some history. You know, we had what, 14 or 15 seasons of the team being called that, um, which is a long time in Formula One. And, you know, we look back, we remember that this team won a race with Sebastian Vettel uh, a long time ago now. So I wasn't I wasn't sold on the rebrand at all. Um and it's not necessarily a trend I'd like to see set. I don't I don't I don't want Red Bull or any other company that owns an F one team to just decide they want to change the name every three or four years um to promote whatever new thing they're launching. Um you know you don't want to get into a situation where the rebranded Aston Martin team that's coming in anytime wants to launch a new supercar decides to call itself something else for a, a year or two. Um, so I hope they stick with the name now it's here and they've probably won me over a bit with the with the rebrand and the new livery and a really strong look um, has made it feel a bit fresher. But ultimately, I guess for the for the people that will be decked out in in white and a bit of blue this year instead of all blue, uh, it's going to make no difference to those inside the team. The car's just going to look different. Yeah, and, and like you say, if you're going to rebrand any team in Formula 1, you might as well rebrand the one that's got a slightly silly identity. It's Red Balloon, it's in Italy, let's call it Toro Rosso. Do you remember when it, when it was first called, though? Because it was Scuderia Toro Rosso, it's Scuderia AlphaTauri, but there was a subtle difference to when it was initially announced. Can you remember that? I know what you're going to say, but only because you've brought it up to me several times before, and I have no recollection of this whatsoever. Was it just in the first year that it was Squadra Toro Rosso? Well, not not even in the first year when it was first announced, it was going to be Squadra Toro Rosso, and they changed it to Scuderia, which is just a, a small bit of trivia. I think I'd Do you quite know like. Why? I, I'm not entirely sure, actually. I think they just felt Scuderia was a bit more predictable. Uh, but I quite like the Squadra bit because it reminds me of a Salah, because a Salah, uh, the uh, the 80s and very early 90s F1 team that was a bit of a a cult classic team uh, was was a Squadra Corsa. So I, I I think it just reminds me of that. So I, I like that. Well, I think if you're going to manage to get a 1980s and 90s backmarker team into a podcast, uh, as is your want, uh, then I'm going to get one of my favourite things in. One of my favourite um, 
pieces of trivia about Toro Rosso is, of course, that they were the last team to race a V10 engine in Formula One. Because when uh, we went to V8s for 2006, you were allowed to run a rev-restricted, I believe, V10. Um, and Toro Rosso, as a new team, took that opportunity. And, you know, we all love the sound of the V8 engine, so very loud and noisy. But if you actually went to a race in 2006 and you heard the whole pack go streaming by the Toro Rosso did sound like a different pitch and uh, it just reminded me, I remember at the time thinking, wow, the V10s were so much better than the V8s. But I've led you massively off course now, Ed, and we've probably been talking for long enough. So is there anything actually more important you want to talk about or more backmarkers you want to name? Well, the only thing I want to add is this is a team that's taken its name from a from a fashion company and I, I just warned them with a case of Andrea Moda which uh, was a team that was connected to the, the guy who ran it Andrea Sassetti I think it was a it was a fashion company or a, or a shoe company or something I can't remember the exact thing but uh, that's the last team I can remember that's connected in in this way although you could also say Benetton did pretty well as well so maybe that's the the, be- the better uh, inspiration for for Alpha Tari. Well, thanks very much, Glenn Freeman. Uh, please do head to therace.com. That's the-race.com. Loads of coverage of the launch season on there. Gary Anderson's technical analysis of the Alpha Tauri, of the Mercedes, of all the cars uh, that we've seen properly so far. And we'll keep pumping out these launch podcasts every time new cars appear. So we'll be back very soon with more.